Let's, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together, then we're going to jump into the Word this morning. <clears throat> Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Now I'd like for us just to sit here for a moment or two and just meditate and ponder the words of this prayer and allow the Holy Spirit to bring to your consciousness, to bring to your level of understanding any part of this prayer that he wants to focus on in your life right now. Father, you are good. Hallowed be thy name. Father, we reverence and we honor and we place great trust. We hallowed the name of our God. You are good. You are good in all of your ways, at all times, in all seasons. You are good. You are faithful. You can be trusted. Your name itself is a banner over our lives. Your name is a high tower that we run into and we are saved. Father, we hallowed your name today. In fact, Lord, we so exalt your name that we declare that your name and all that is within your name right now is greater. It's greater. It is greater than anything and everything that we may be facing. It's greater than the storms in our nation. It's greater than the systemic problems of our community. Your name is greater and we elevate your name and all that is within your name. Father, I wanna pray today specifically uh, give us this day our daily bread. I just feel the Holy Spirit is just alighting himself upon this particular phrase in the Lord's Prayer. I wanna pray right now, Father, for those that, I know that this part of the prayer means many things, but I wanna pray specifically for those that are in a very real need of provision. Those specifically that are stepping out, launching their own businesses, those that are stepping out in kingdom enterprise opportunities, those that are engaging in entrepreneurial uh, events, and Father, even those that are transitioning um, in life and transitioning in their ministry, Father, I pray today that you would give them this day and this season their daily bread. That you would be provider in a very powerful and in a very undeniable way. Father, I pray that even as you sustained Elijah, you sustained him. Father, you caused birds to bring food to him. You sustained the Israelites with manna in the wilderness during a dry season of their lives. I pray that you would sustain, that you would provide, that you would provide miraculously. Father, I pray that even this week that you would cause there to be some just divine connections and networks and 
Father, people that, whether they be business owners or whether they be customers or whether they be repeat clientele, or whether it be funders or donors, God, I pray that you would cause there to be divine connections that happen this week. I pray favor right now upon the business owners and the business leaders of this house, ministry leaders, ministry owners of this house. And Father, I pray that those that are between vocational employment, that you would just provide. Give us this day our daily bread. Feed us today by your word through your spirit, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 You know, as we pray the Lord's Prayer, I think one of the things that keeps this fresh and it keeps it full of the life of God and it keeps it revelatory is that we don't just recite the Lord's Prayer, that we walk through it and we have a conversation with the Holy Spirit. And we allow him to do what he just did right there and say, Holy Spirit, is there any part, any segment of this prayer that you just want to shine your spotlight on right now? In fact, when I first learned, really learned how to pray over probably 25 years ago now. Uh, I was going through a class on the Lord's Prayer and there's just these very specific prayer topics and prayer objectives that correlate to every part of the Lord's Prayer, so much so that you could literally pray an hour or beyond just walking through the subjects of the Lord's Prayer. You spend a few minutes five, 10 minutes, just focusing on the names of God. Hallowed be your name and just elevating the names of God. Move into intercession, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Praying for yourself, the, the Lord's will in your own life, your, your, your marriage, your family, your church, your community, your nation, your nations if you want to. You could spend a lot of time just praying that his kingdom would come and his will would be done. Praying for provision, praying for the faithfulness of God and his providing. We've not even gotten there yet in our teaching, but I, I wanna encourage you, be working it, this into your prayer life. That is the point of our entire journey thus far and the journey that we're still continuing in our series, Teach Us to Pray. So we are now about four months into uh, the Lord's Prayer as we're walking slowly through this as a body of believers. And today we're going to continue our discussion of thy kingdom come and thy will be done. So those of you who got, oh, those of you who are with us today for the first time, we welcome you and ask you to join us as uh, we are just on a journey as a people. And part of our journey at this stage is leading us through the Lord's Prayer. And we are specifically on the part of the Lord's Prayer that says, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. I wanna talk for a few minutes here about what the kingdom of God is. And actually, this will take us uh, a couple of weeks, even just to get our hands around and our hearts and our minds around what is the kingdom of God. Books upon books upon books have been written by scholars who have studied this for, for just decades. And uh, there's a lot of rich, rich material here as we understand what the kingdom of God is. In fact, I was listening to a guy by the name of Gordon Fee. Uh, those of you guys who are theology majors may remember the name Gordon Fee. And he was speaking to a group of YWAM students in Lausanne. And he was speaking for four hours on the kingdom of God. And this is how he started off his talk in, in his lecture with these students. He asked them very simply, he said, um, if we were to take a survey of all of the things that Jesus taught, if we were to take a survey of the ministry of God's kingdom, what would be some of the, the high topics or the high themes that he emphasized more than anything else 
in his ministry. And so some people said, you know, the love of God. The love of God is the main message that Jesus emphasized in his kingdom ministry. And to which Gordon Fee replied, he says, well, how many of you guys know with the exception of the book of John, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, Jesus only mentions love twice. Love God, love your neighbors yourself, and love your enemy. So if you really wanted to get technical, you could say he mentioned it three times. And then some students said, well, you know, I I think that forgiveness was the primary message of Jesus' kingdom ministry. And he did mention that a couple more times than love. But when you scale it all back, what you'll find is the thing that Jesus preached and announced, his message, his purpose was the kingdom of God. That was his assignment on the earth. Now we find throughout all of scriptures, Jesus came for many reasons. We find that Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. We, can't, we find that Jesus came to give us abundant life. The enemy comes to steal and kill and destroy, but I have come to give life and life to the absolute fullest. We find that when he's standing before Pontius Pilate and Pontius Pilate is beginning to interrogate him, Jesus says, I came to testify to the truth. This is what truth is. That's one of the reasons why Jesus came to clarify what is and what is not truth. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. That is one of the reasons why he came. He came to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. But we find consistently through all the gospels that one of the primary reasons, his absolute purpose was to make the kingdom of God known, was to announce that the kingdom of God had begun in Christ and that it would begin for humanity upon the resurrection and it would be fulfilled at the consummation of all time when he comes at his second coming. Let's take a look, if we would, here at Luke chapter four. Luke chapter four, verse 42 It says, at daybreak, Jesus went out to a solitary place. The people were looking for him, and when they came to where he was, they tried to keep him from leaving them. Verse 43, but he said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. I must fulfill my purpose and why God the Father has sent me to the earth. God the Father sent me to the earth to do all those things I just rattled off, but all of those things fit within the umbrella of Jesus manifesting the kingdom of God to the earth. We find in Mark's gospel, we'll turn to Mark chapter one. Mark chapter one, beginning in verse 14. It says, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. Verse 15, the time has come, he said. The kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. Now, I thought this was fascinating, and Gordon Fee mentioned this in his lectures. He said, Jesus didn't go around and everywhere he went just repeat this over and over Repent, for the kingdom of God is here. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. Obviously, we can see from the parables, we can see from different, the teachings of the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. This this was not the only thing that Jesus did, just run around robotically saying, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. What Mark is communicating, what Matthew are communicating is the summary of Jesus's entire message 
So we can take everything that Jesus taught, everything that he preached, everything that he announced, and we could say, if you pull it all together, it's the kingdom of God. Jesus was showing that in the kingdom, this is how you lead. You lead by serving. Jesus was showing that in the kingdom, this is how you get along with people when you have a conflict. You forgive. You talk it out. Jesus was showing that the kingdom of God breaks through the power of the darkness. Jesus was showing what justice looks like in the kingdom of God. Jesus was showing what it looks like to love your neighbor in the kingdom of God. Everything that Jesus taught and preached was all done within the framework of the kingdom of God. Look at Matthew chapter four. Matthew chapter four, we'll look at verse 23. It says, Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom and healing every disease and sickness among the people. His primary assignment on the earth was to announce that this kingdom had begun and that this kingdom was what we could engage in this kingdom was what we could participate with. This kingdom was what we could partner with God to pray into greater existence into the earth and this kingdom would one day fully be consummated and realized. Turn with me to Acts chapter one. I know we're walking through a lot of scriptures, but it's just very important for us to understand how pronounced the theme of the kingdom of God is and how important it is that Jesus invites us to pray into and partner with him that his kingdom would be made known. I'm loving the songs that we're singing. I'm loving this new song that we sang today. I'm loving the faith declaration and the unified power of worship to announce the kingdom of God is here and the kingdom of God is growing, it's advancing, it's increasing, and it will be fully realized when Jesus returns. Acts chapter one, let's look at verse one. It says, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving instruction through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he showed himself to these men and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. And he appeared to them over a period of 40 days and he spoke about the kingdom of God. He spoke about the kingdom of God. So we can see that this was really important to Jesus' assignment. In fact, Gordon Fee goes so far as to say, if we don't understand the kingdom, we miss Jesus entirely. We miss Jesus of Nazareth. We miss Christ, the son of God, if we are unable to lay a hold of his primary mission, message, and mandate, which is the kingdom of God. So let's talk for a few minutes here about what the kingdom of God is. In order to understand the kingdom, we have to go back to what God's original idea was. His original idea, his big idea, his purpose for creating the earth to begin with. And we're gonna start in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 17. Very simply, as we begin our understanding of the kingdom of God, there are numerous approaches and numerous understandings to what Jesus meant when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. 
Some scholars believe that it means primarily that this speaks specifically to a domain, a geographical domain of rule that a king has. That makes total sense. And we can think about other sovereign countries around the world, and we can think that their kingdom is within the geographical sphere and the geographical boundaries uh, that they oversee. So we could look at that and we could say the kingdom of God is the geographical sphere or the domain in which the king rules. There's some scholars that actually take that a little bit further and they say, well, it's, it's, it's more a time of rule. It's more the time in which a king reigns and a time in which the king rules. And to understand this, and we'll do this in the future, we have to understand the eschatological hope and the messianic hope of the Jewish people that were looking for the time, the time when the Messiah would appear, and upon his appearing, that would inaugurate the rule of the Messiah. Is this making sense? So it's, it's a little bit more than just a territory. It is the actual time in history when that king or when that Messiah is ruling. And then to take it a step further, there are some that say we have to incorporate this idea of the active rule, the active reign of a king. So it's more than just a geographical space and it's more than just a time frame in history. It is the actual rule and the active reign, the active involvement, the active engagement, the active uh, oversight of that king within that space and within that time. And we combine all those together and we say in the place and in the time where God himself, his desires, his dream, his wisdom, his word is actively at work there at that place we find the kingdom of God in its operation. Let's look at 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 17 and we'll take a look at what I'm calling the origin of the first kingdom, the origin of the first kingdom. 1 Timothy 1.17 says, Now to the king, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever. Now to the king. Now to the king. In order for us to understand the concept of kingdom, we have to reconcile in our heart with great faith and with great conviction that God is a good, good father. He's a creator. He's, he's omnipotent. He's all of those things, but fundamentally he is also a king. He is a king. And the very essence of a king denotes and implies that they have a kingdom. We could break down that word kingdom and it just basically means domain over which a king or a sovereign or an authority or a government rules. What does it mean that God is king? It means that he is totally independent, that he existed before all things, that he began his creative process by first introducing and producing what we call the invisible world or heaven. The invisible world, which is heaven. This is interesting when you think about this. It's important for us to understand that God as king created heaven and creation denotes authorship. Whatever you create, you are the author of and inherent within that concept of author is the understanding of authority. We talked a few weeks ago about the difference between authority and power and how God's kingdom operates on authority. 
Everything that happens within God's kingdom happens within the scope of authority, God-given authority. And I know that this has been abused and it's been abused, I think, many ways and many times because the enemy knows that if he can get us out of alignment with proper authority, then he can begin to influence the realm of God's kingdom. The concept of authority is so important because God is a king and everything he does, he does by way of proper and just and pure and good authority. God called the invisible realm heaven and he became the king over the domain of heaven. This was the first kingdom. Heaven is a created place. Let's talk a little bit about what heaven is and then we'll move into the realm of the earth. Look at John 1, 1 through 3. We're looking at a couple of verses here. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, it says, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was with God in the beginning, and through Him all things were made. So through Christ, everything that was made, and we tend to read this and think just in terms of the earth. We tend to read this and think everything is limited to the earth. But I want to show you that when the scriptures say that in him, everything that was made was made, he's not just speaking about the realm of the earth. He's speaking first about the realm of the heavens because the heavens were created before the realm of the earth. It was his first kingdom. Look at Colossians chapter one. Colossians chapter one, verse 15 through 17. Colossians 1.15 says, he, meaning Jesus, is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn over all of creation. For by him all things were created, watch this, things in heaven and things on earth. Things that were visible and things that are invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and they were created for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So, heaven is the first place that was created. It is a created place. And I would also go on to say that heaven is a country. It's a country. It is, is an actual place. It is not this ethereal, uh, nebulous. It is not this idea that's out there. It is an actual place within the scope and the scale of all created things that God created. Look with me at Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11. I know we're wading through a lot of stuff here, but we're, gonna, we're, just, we're just gonna take our time. It's a good journey for us to understand what this is. Hebrews 11, beginning at verse 13, it says, all of these people, if you recall that the book of Hebrews is what we call the hallmark of faith and beginning with Abraham and Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, all of the great heroes of our faith are all mapped out there in the book of Hebrews chapter 11. And the thing that I find so interesting in Hebrews 11 is that it says that all of these people, all of these great pioneers, fathers, generals, heroes of the faith, those things that they held on to, those promises that were given to them, says that many of them did not receive or realize their promise within their lifetime. It's very interesting as it relates to some of our modern day ideas of what faith is. 
And we'll talk about, we can talk about that in our journey in the future. But let's look right here at verse 13. It says, all of these people were still living by faith when they died. They were all living by faith when they died and they did not receive in this created world the things that were promised. They only saw them with the eye of faith. They welcomed them from a distance and they admitted they were aliens and strangers on earth. Verse 14, people who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. Look at verse 16. Instead, they were longing for a better country. They were longing for a heavenly one. Heaven is a real place. It is a created place and it is the first created order that God established as his kingdom. Look at Ephesians chapter one. Another great verse here, just continuing to explain and help us understand the nature of God's first kingdom. In Ephesians chapter one, beginning, we'll start in verse 17. This is Paul writing to the church of Ephesus and he says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious father, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know Christ better. And I pray also that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is like the working of his mighty strength, which he exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So where is Christ right now? Christ is in the heavenly realms. Christ is in the first kingdom. Christ is in that primary place that God established as his realm of rule and reign and authority. Let's take a look here at some other verses now distinguishing heaven from earth. We need to understand that heaven is in fact not only created by God, heaven is not only a literal place, but heaven is also a kingdom. Let's look at a couple of verses in Psalms. Look at Psalm 103. Psalm 103 verse 19. It says, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. Where is his throne at? It is in the created time and space known as heaven. It is in the geographical territory of the created invisible world that the scriptures call heaven. That is where the throne of God is at currently. And his kingdom rules over all. Take a look at Psalm 45. Psalm 45, and let me know if I'm going too fast for you guys. Psalm 45 verse six. Psalm 45, six says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. A scepter of justice will be the scepter of your kingdom. So not only is heaven a created place created by God, not only is heaven a literal place that is a real place, not only is it a country and a sovereign territory, it is a kingdom where God rules. Now, something interesting about this kingdom, we find this out in Matthew chapter six, beginning in verse nine, where the disciples asked Jesus to teach him how to pray. This has been our primary text now for months. And Jesus says, our father 
who art in heaven, this is where he is, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your kingdom come. Your rule, your reign, your will, let it come, let it happen. Let it happen in the now. Let it happen today. Let it happen in our sphere of influence. Let it happen in our lives, in our family, in our marriages, in our finances, in our physical body. Let it happen to our neighbor. Let it happen in our neighborhoods, our street, our schools, our sports team. Let your reign, your influence, your authority, your government, your dominion, let it happen. Let it come. Let it grow. Let it increase now, in the now, here in this space. And let your will be done. And then he says this really curious phrase, on earth as it is in heaven. How is the kingdom of God operating in heaven? How is the will of God being operated in heaven? Without resistance, without opposition. When the king speaks in the realm of heaven, it happens. When the king speaks, when the king decrees, when the, when the king declares, when the king says, this is what I would like to have happen, when the king expresses his desire, when the king dreams of his perfect order, it happens. It happens. So then we transition the story. Because we all know and we all understand this, that earth is not the beginning of the story. We all know that, right? Right? So Genesis chapter one, verse one, says in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The beginning of the story actually takes place before there is even an understanding of what a beginning is because God has no beginning. The beginning of the story is the king who is uncreated. The uncreated king is the beginning. And we don't know the span of time that existed in that one verse in the beginning. God created the heavens and the earth. We don't know the span of eons and eons and eons of time that have existed between those three words, the heavens and the earth. But what we do know is that our enemy, the prince of the power of the air, the ruler of those that live in disobedience, Satan, who who, uh, rules and reigns, Now illegally, prior to the resurrection, he reigned legally because Adam gave the keys of the kingdom over to him. We we know that there was a time period within history where God existed, the angels existed, his throne existed, and there was a usurper and a rebellious entity known as Lucifer or Satan. That that all existed before earth was created. And those events in many ways precipitated the creation of, of the earth, because when God created the earth, we can think, why did you create this world? Why did you create this material, physical space? Why did you create humanity? He created us out of the overflow of love that existed within the Trinity, and he created the world as an extension of his first kingdom. See, every king wants to expand their rule, right? Every king wants to expand their rule. And God's no different. The created realm of heaven was good. It was perfect. It was complete. Satan arose. God removed Satan from his first primary created order. And then he says, I am going to expand my kingdom rule. I'm going to expand my territory, but I need people to govern that territory for me. 
People that are made in my image. People that have the ability to know my heart. People who have the ability to hear my voice. People who desire to rule the way that I would rule, not out of coercion, not out of force, not out of obligation, not out of duty, but people who rule the way I would rule out of love. Sons and daughters. So we could, we could actually translate it like this. So God created the world as an extension of his domain so that he could build a family to grow and work in partnership with to govern and rule his expanded order like he would rule. So that's when Jesus says, hey, listen, pray like this, pray thy kingdom come. Pray that the government and the order and the rule and the reign and the wisdom of God would happen in this created order right now, just like it's happening in the primary created order right now until those two come and they coalesce into one. Let's take a look here at um, a couple of verses that expand and explain a little bit. There's just this great, great verse that we've got to look at here in uh, I believe it's in Psalm 115. Take a look at Psalm 115 with me. We're gonna look at Psalm 115 and verse 16. Awesome. 115, 16 says, the highest heavens belong to the Lord but the earth he has given to man. The highest heavens belong to the Lord, the earth he has given to man. This place is our place. This land is my land. This land is your land. (laughs) You know, without a little further inquiry into that word, it can be a little misleading. Because we need to understand that God is the owner and he's the owner of all. Psalm 24 is explicit about this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it belongs to God. But wait a minute, I thought you said, I thought you said it belongs to us. Well, I'm kind of reminded of the things that I give my kids and they take this immediate possessive ownership of. This is mine. This is, well, actually it's mine. I'm just letting you use it right now. And you can say that it's yours if you want to, and it is yours to a degree, but it's yours because you're a son and because you're taking care of what I gave to you, but really it's mine. But you can keep believing that it's yours just so you continue to mature and grow and understand that it's really mine, and I want you to take care of it because you're gonna give it back to me someday. All right, so uh, now that you have a world into my life, the word here where it says, the earth he has given to man, the word give there means delegate. It means delegate. It means he has delegated the earth to his sons and his daughters, and he has given us authority, delegated authority to steward this world, to work it, to grow it, to be in relationship with his heart, to know and understand the wisdom of the king, the orders of the king, and for us then to cultivate this earth so that this earth looks exactly like what heaven looks like. Where the rule and the reign and the wisdom of God are unrestricted and unopposed. So what then is, let's just, what are some of the expressions? What are some of the characteristics of 
the domain of our king? What does it look like when the active rule of the king is in operation? Couple of thoughts here. Not exhaustive, not complete. Couple of thoughts for our journey. Number one, it is the desire of the king. The desire of the king. Many scriptures that we could reference here, but we're gonna just reference one that's found in 1 Timothy 2, 4. 1 Timothy 2, 4. We need to understand that our king desires certain things. I'm just... We're gonna look at this, but I'm just reminded in Matthew chapter eight, when this, verses one through three, when this leper comes to, to Jesus. And the scriptures say that this leper comes to Jesus and he bows down before him and he says, if you are willing, in other words, if this is a part of your desire, if this is something that you want, then you can make me clean. And what does Jesus say? I mean, just emphatically, undeniably, Jesus says, I am willing reaches out his hand and he touches this leper and he heals him both physically and emotionally and socially restores him back to his place as a son in society and in the community. This is, this is what this means. It means what does the king want? The king wants all men to be saved. Right there, 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4, who wants all men to be saved. Why is evangelism so important? Why is serving our neighbor? Why is loving our neighbor? Why is loving our community? Why are all, why are all of these initiatives, why, are they, why do they even matter? They matter because the king desires all men to be saved. So for us to really care about the kingdom, we've got to care about the people that the king loves. For us to really care about the kingdom, we've got to care about lost people because the king cares about lost people. Jesus tells a parable about this, and he says, hey, listen, there was a guy that was throwing a, 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 a wedding, throws a banquet, and he says, I want you guys to get out there and invite all the people to my banquet. And then not a lot of people show up. So then he sends out another delegation, has them go to the highways, the byways, has them go all into the land. Why? Because he wants his kingdom to be filled with his sons and his daughters. He desires that. He desires healing. He desires deliverance. He desires strength on your life. He desires marriages and families that pull together and they live together in the fullness of the kingdom. These are the, the word of God is revealed to show us what the king desires. So when we pray, thy kingdom come, again, it's not this generic arbitrary prayer. What we're saying is, God, I wanna know what you desire. I wanna know what it is that you want right now, what you want for my family, my children, my church, my community, what you want for the lost, what you want for the unborn, what you want for the marginalized. I desire to know that. I wanna partner with your heart and I wanna be in participation with you to see that your kingdom comes to all of these areas of society. What is your heart for my school? What is your heart for this nation? If we really are gonna be a kingdom people, we have to care about nations. And since Christy and I have been here for 12 years now, uh, you know, we, we, we sow, we invest, we, we pray, we help to mobilize this house to be a people that care about the nations. Why? Because we care about the kingdom, because we care about the king. We cannot say we love the king and not love the nations of the earth. Second component of praying thy kingdom come is God's directives, his directives. So what does the king desire and what is the king directing? What is he mandating? What is he stating? What is he decreeing must happen? These are very simply his instructions and his commands. When we obey the commands of God, 
with a heart of love and a heart of obedience, we are bringing the kingdom of God into the earth. Remember, the kingdom is like leaven. The kingdom is like a seed. The kingdom is like a seed that a farmer goes out and he sows and it grows subversively, quietly. It grows in, in silence. It grows hidden. And, and so much so that you don't even know that the kingdom is operating. But every time in a secret place, you choose righteousness over disobedience. Every time when you're in private, not in public, and you're choosing to walk in obedience to God, guess what's happening? The kingdom of God is growing. Kingdom of God is growing like a seed that's just taking root in your life. Every time that you go to the scriptures with a heart to learn and understand the heart of God, the kingdom is growing. The kingdom's advancing. Every time you pray and you pray to obey God's word. Every time you resist sin, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know what's happening? The kingdom of God is growing. Every time you, by the power of God's spirit, show yourself obedient to the word of God. A lot of verses here we could reference. Let's take a look at Matthew 28 though. Matthew 28 verse 18 very well-known scripture for all the missionaries in the house and all those that care about the great global kingdom commission. But just an understanding that the kingdom expands when we show ourselves obedient to the word of God. Look at verse 18. Jesus came and he said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations that could be better translated as disciple nations, holistically, comprehensively in their entirety, not just get people saved, disciple the entire nation. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, watch this, verse 20, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. Why is that so important? Because you don't have a kingdom if you got a rebellious people. You don't have a kingdom if there's no people that are obeying what the king says. You've got the Lord of the flies. Obedience is one of the ways that we expand the kingdom of God. So when we pray for our schools and we pray for our businesses and we pray for our neighborhoods, we're praying that, that God would move upon the hearts of people to create within them a heart that loves the king, and that is moved to obey the wisdom of the king. When God creates a nation out of Israel, what's the first thing that he does when he establishes them as a nation? He creates law. He reveals the heart of the king through the directives of the king. Number three, praying thy kingdom come means number one, praying for his desires Number two, it means praying for his directives, but it also means praying for his dominion. His dominion. What is his dominion? It's his influence and it is his rule and it is his government and his authority. Pray for the authority of God and the rule of God and the government of God to be established. First, number one, in our own hearts, self-government. How do we, when we pray thy kingdom come, we're saying, God, set your throne up in my heart. Rule my life. I surrender. You know, when we sing, I surrender all, we're, we're doing more than just 
pacifying the feeling of guilt and shame and sin in our heart. What we're doing is we're saying, God, I completely laid down my will so that the will of the king is an operation in this kingdom first, in the government of my life. Because the kingdom of God can't advance out there if the kingdom of God is not, it's not ruling in here. Can't happen. In fact, we'll make the king look really bad out there. And that doesn't mean that we have to wait to get everything perfected in, in order here before we begin engaging aggressively the kingdom advancement out there. It just very simply means we can't get those things out of order. God, your kingdom come in my self-government. Number two, in my family government. In my family government, God, bring your kingdom, bring the rule, bring the dominion, bring the authority, bring the government of God here in my family. Not in a coercive way, remember, Everything that Jesus showed us from the way that he led, from the way that he taught, from the things that he taught, he showed us this is what the kingdom looks like. Husbands, here's how you serve your wives. You wash their feet. You lower yourself. You don't lord it over like the Gentiles do. This is how you lead your children. You lead them out of grace and gentleness. You lead them this way. This is what the kingdom looks like in your home. This is what the kingdom looks like in your business, the way that you lead your employees. Do you lead out of fear? Do you lead out of manipulation? Do you lead out of control or do you listen? Do you walk with them? Do you engage in their hearts? Do you engage in their life? Do you care about what they're going through? This is what the kingdom looks like. It's the government of God, the rule of God. And finally, number four, the kingdom of God looks like, very simply, it looks like the dreams of God. It looks like the dream of God being fulfilled. You know, when his desires are being, are being walked out, when his directives are being obeyed, when his dominion is being respected and honored, his dreams will be fulfilled. And just here, one verse to leave you with in Revelation 7, verse 9. Revelation 7, verse 9, it says, After this I looked. And there before me was a great multitude no one could count from every nation, every tribe, every people, every language, standing before the throne in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. God's dream is that every nation, every tribe, every tongue would know the name of his Son. God's dream is that the affairs of earth would be so aligned with the affairs of heaven. God's dream is that his sons and daughters would mature to where they can steward authority and they can lead and represent in his name. God's dream is that earth would look like heaven. And that happens subversively, it happens uh, incrementally, it happens consciously, it happens in all of these things we talked about today and more, and it happens in every field. It happens in every field. This is why the seven, message, the seven mountain message is so important. This is why it's important to discover what our gifts and our talents and our abilities and our passions are because when we find those things and we release those into the earth, Influence of the kingdom is coming in the unique way that God has made you, in the unique field and space, the domain that God has placed you in. So let's stand to our feet this morning. We're gonna pray here for a few minutes that the kingdom of God would come and that his will would be done. And we're gonna pray that this would remove itself from being just some generic prayer 
And we're gonna pray that God give us a greater understanding on what the kingdom of God looks like. Powers of darkness being destroyed. Powers of darkness being destroyed. The kingdom of God looks like broken bodies being healed. The kingdom of God looks like marriages being reconciled. The kingdom of God looks like people sitting at the gates of authority in our city. The kingdom of God looks like the orphan being put in a home. The lonely being set in families. The kingdom of God looks like people coming to faith in Christ. Salvation. Let's all just lift up our voices here for a few minutes as we pray for the kingdom of God. Father, we pray first and foremost that your kingdom will be firmly and deeply rooted and established in our hearts and in our minds. Father, right now, we just say that any element and any area of our thinking that is in contradiction, that runs in contrast, that is opposed to the will and the wisdom and the words of our King, God, today, we say that we repent which means very simply that we choose to think the way that you think. We don't think the way that we think. We choose, we willingly submit our thoughts to think the way that you think. We relinquish rights to our heart and we relinquish the rights to our lives because you are our king and you're a good king and you're a just and a noble and a faithful king and we trust you in all things at all times. Father, we thank you that your kingdom is here. It has begun. That Jesus, the epitome, the essence, the fullness, the fulfillment of the king on the earth when he was here, the kingdom of God was here, fully contained within Jesus. Jesus, we thank you that you came to show us what the kingdom looked like. You came to make the kingdom attractive. You came to take the lid off of life and existence for us. And you also came to give us authority to move that kingdom further. We thank you for the power of the resurrection that now invites us into that kingdom in the here and the now. And yet, we know that your kingdom is not fulfilled completely. We look around, Father, and we see that there are things that do not line up with your kingdom. We see that there, there is, there's hatred, there's racism, there's division, there's pride, there's perversion, there's death, there's tragedy, there's trauma, there's sickness, there's broken bodies. God, we see these things and we say, they don't line up with the kingdom. So we know that the kingdom of God is not fully here yet. It is, it's coming towards us. It's, it will be completed someday, but we're going to live now. We're going to live now like we're going to live in the future. We're going to live now in the fullness of all the authority you've given to us. We're going to live now in faith that your kingdom is growing. It's expanding. We're going to live now that your justice, your order, your governing rule, your wisdom, your ways, your beauty, your goodness will be established in our lives, these broken vessels. Let it happen, God. Let it happen this week. We ask for kingdom ideas and kingdom contacts and kingdom connections and kingdom strategies and kingdom prayers. And God, we pray that we would fixate our heart on Jesus, the king of this kingdom, and that our prayer would be this week, this day, God, your kingdom would grow. It would come. It would expand. It would increase. It would advance. In the name of Jesus.